Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Keller, along with the pain meister himself, <laughs> Matt McNeil. Old man. Yeah, it's a... Maybe it's it, just a sign of getting old. So so, t- so, tell me, you said you had a little bit of pain, big guy. A little, little bit of pain. I was trying to cuddle with my dog. Dog whisperer, too. Yeah, dog whisperer, too. <laughs> Zoe, I was trying to like lay down. She was all, you know, she's all schmoopy. And I was like, oh, let me lay down on the floor with her last night. I'm like, let me just lay down next to her and... And we'll spoon. And I reached my arm above my head as I'm laying on my side. And I felt something pop like on my like upper part of my rib cage. And I was like, oh, it it hurt. And I, I was like, did I dislocate a rib or something totally weird? So I think my wife thinks it's just a, I, I pulled a muscle and something, you know, the tendons like kind of snapped a little bit or whatever. But But I'm like hurting now looks like everything hurts on this left side so sleep was awesome last night as you can imagine anyways enough, there you go. enough about my ailments how's <laughs> your how's your ailments old man oh my god they're all there um i uh actually we had our uh our annual banquet for uh, the our volunteer fire department yeah and i uh do something i haven't done in a long time which was dance uh, oh god is there a video hell no (laughs) hell no 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 give me your wife's number i gotta i gotta i know she's got video somewhere (laughs) (laughs) you know the old saying white men can't jump (laughs) i tell you what can't dance dance into that list (laughs) (laughs) but are you sore today (laughs) oh yeah uh, well, KK man, cutting some rug, dude. Yeah, awesome, yeah. Well, dude. I was cutting something. <laughs> yeah. uh, my uh, my uh, son was getting some some uh, food and stuff, so he missed it. But his girlfriend goes, he he came back. He goes, oh, you should have seen it. He was dancing. <laughs> so funny, man. <laughs> yeah, the way she said it, she's British, and it's like, you know, it's. I didn't know how to take that. Because I didn't think it came across as a compliment. It wasn't a compliment. <laughs> oh my God, he's dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Get him off the floor now. <laughs> Somebody help him. Anyway. Why are people why are people leaving? <laughs> That's pretty funny, man. Oh. But well, speaking hey, of dance, I, let's this? dance, man. What are yeah, we? Yeah. We're gonna well, wrap you know this what? thing up, I think. You're cute. I'm not so much. So I think we'll, <laughs> you and I are not going to be a, a dancing duo. <laughs> okay. Well, then we'll just do uh, a podcast. I tell you what, uh, that's probably what I people think that's want. What people anyway. are here for. Yeah. So, but, um, so this is what our third episode, third episode. of this, of the, uh, and I think final one, I believe this will wrap this yep. one up or at least right now. Tension deficit, uh, hyperactivity uh, disorder. Yep. ADHD. You know, uh, today, I guess we're going to go kind of 
big picture on what to do when you have it as far as yeah. treatments, meds, effects, those kind of things. So I'm you've I know you've been digging mm-hmm. and you probably have more than enough stuff probably to do several more episodes, but we're going to kind of let you have at it and talk about those things because I think that's kind of goes hand in hand with what we've talked about so far. And then yep. I think we may summarize it all so at the we'll, end. We'll so. wrap it up. So the, in a lot of the questions that have come through, um, very viewed podcast, uh, the, this ADHD one is spreading around. So there's a huge interest in it. And some of the subsequent questions, most of them have been, why is the FAA so stupid? They don't allow pilots to get help. I can't help you with that. Uh, but it's also been about what do I like? What are the drugs that people use? And as you're, I'm holding this up. You can see, uh, you know, there are a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot of drugs. On There's that a thing. ton. Holy geez. Um, and I would imagine in some cases, some of them are very similar. Um, yeah, you know, the, the mechanisms like when you're of treating f- action are are different. There's different mechanisms, but there's some of them are are have some similar properties. Some of them fall into the stimulant category. Some of them are actually antihypertensives that they find uh, are useful for ADHD. Um, so the what happened is they they discovered um, in the seventies and eighties they they realized okay ADHD is a dopamine deficiency. Because the drugs that they used to manage it, that they found worked, all increase, pr- they produce increases in dopamine availability in the brain. And they, they did it through all these different kinds of mechanisms. That's why the drugs have different mechanisms of action. That's how drugs work. And they don't, they're, they're all different. They don't do it the same. But the, the, the accumulating result is that there's more dopamine in the brain to do the job that it's not doing in people with ADHD. People with people with ADHD have a depletion or less dopamine than the neurotypical subset of the population that does not have ADHD. But in more recent years, the literature has indicated that they've started to see that norepinephrine, which is related to dopamine, is also uh, implicated in this kind of disorder. And so, um, like, there's a drug called Stratera, which is a ADHD treatment uh, medication, and that is a norepinephrine drug that increases norepinephrine in the brain. So, uh, and then there's things like Quelbri, and again, there's just more drugs than I care. There's like 50 of them that I've, you know, over my research have found. Uh, I, I thought there was like 12 or 13, because that's kind of what I'm just used to seeing. And it's like, there's actually like 50 of them. And so, there's dopamine and norepinephrine. And so the question is, is like, okay, what is happening? And if you want to get into the dorky stuff, there's things called alpha-2 ports, uh, which are in there. They exist in the frontal lobe and they're like portholes of neurons in the front lobe that they open and close to determine basically how much noise is in the nerve cells and these alpha two ports, which are responsible, uh, responsive to alpha two drugs, they end up helping ADHD because they fine tune the nerds, nerve cells in the executive brain. So again, it's like the bottom structure to the top structure. How do they communicate? And in the ADHD brain, there's a lot of noise on the prefrontal cortex, the higher level functions. And so 
again, we could go down to rabbit holes that we don't really need to do here. But the point in, the, in essence, you're kind of saying it calms them down. The noise it, it lowers the noise. It does. Level. It does no so that so that both sides can hear each other or connect instead of instead of it just being drowned out. Right. That's right. So you've got dopamine. That's uh there's all these different three neurotransmitters are involved. There's dopamine, and that's what the stimulants are for. And then there's the norepinephrine, and that's what the non-stimulant drugs are for. And then there's the alpha-2 ports and the noise in the frontal lobe. And that's what the antihypertensive drugs, interestingly, are, are for, like clonidine and guanfacin, which you'll see a lot of kids get put on these. If, you know, sometimes they're a little too young to be put on stimulants. Um, and so they'll use things like clonidine or guanfacin. And so pretty interesting. But it goes, obviously, ADHD goes beyond just the neurochemistry because the genes uh, are, are a factor at play here. And there's, I guess there's 12 genes and there's a recent study that, that said they're founding that there's actually, they think actually more like 45 to 50 genes are involved in ADHD, which is so it's like, you know, the brain is, this is why I always say like the brain is so complicated, you know, it's just, it's this am massive ecosystem in framework and uh, what are your uh, what what are your what are your thoughts on all of that you know i think as the testing becomes they get better fidelity and they're able to see more they're starting to realize how much more there is because now they can actually test for it uh, a genome test uh, a few years ago would have been 100 yeah now it's like 10,000 or something yeah. like that and who knows what it's going to be in in five years from now so i think as as they're able to get more fidelity they may find out that 50 is too low too it's just because it, like you say they all they all connect they're all interrelated yeah. and and it unfortunately it's that uh i guess you want almost the term i always use is law of unintended consequences just be, you don't realize what what the effect from one does on all the others that's and, right and i guess in the brain just a small change is all it may take to throw things off balance. Yeah. And it's a ripple effect. So it's it, it's hard to, to sit there and even begin to imagine, like you say, all the things. The thought that I was getting when you were talking before about the three, you were talking about the different drugs. Mm -hmm. the, my guess is not everybody that has ADHD gets all three. So they're trying no. to figure out which one which one of those is going to respond. Two. Yeah. Right. And that's where the gene so, testing and the, is going to be very helpful to know to be like, able to, to neck it down to, yeah to, to to be able to use the right uh drug therapy to treat your problem so like you know in the research when you look at genes like they're, they're called the dat1 which is this dopamine gene i remember reading about this years ago but like there's so if you have adhd you might have seven or eight or nine copies of this dat1 whereas the the neurotypical person would have four or five and so it's those extra versions of these these genetic mutations that start to create, you know, just create all sorts of problems with how the brain is built and how it functions. So the point of all this is it's complicated. It's really, really complicated. But let's not be super complicated. Let's dumb this down. So when you go to the doctor and usually ADHD is diagnosed in the GP's office, which I've tried to make the case. To get a real diagnosis, you need to be have a full workup 
not a 15 minute, you know, I can't concentrate. Here's the drugs. But the GP is basically just to kind of point you in a direction. Well, going, usually they just try to solve it, right? They're like, okay, but try they this. Should be, they, they should, should be, but you know, the medical system is not set up for that. I mean, some people don't have insurance to be able to go to a neuropsychologist and get a full workup. That could be four or $5,000. So, I mean, I understand why G this is no cut on GPs. GPs have a, the hardest in the job in the world to do. It, the G in GP is general. It's general, <laughs> and it's also 15 minutes, and they see you know clients back to back to back to back yeah. to back, and so they got to come in and try to you know figure it out really quickly and make an assessment and and come up with a treatment plan. But let's say you've got the the resources and you have the funds to get a proper diagnosis, you you know you should really go to a, a neuropsychologist or even a neuropsychiatrist to get a proper a proper workup but the gene the not the genes the drugs usually they find that stimulants um are now here's a consideration how quickly do you need it to work is this you know do you is it um, i need this fast because like you know the, the child is so disruptive that they're about to get kicked out of school which is often what happens or is this something that you can sort of slow slow roll this to try to figure out what's going on? Stimulants are usually the choice because they work much, much faster than the non-stimulant drugs. But then here's another consideration. What if you have an anxiety disorder? On top of this, and I'll tell you as adults, if you've been living with ADHD for a long time, you probably have a co-occurring co anxiety disorder that's a result that is absolutely tied into the the struggles of of ADHD you know losing jobs not being able to perform well in school having you know performance related issues just in your life relationship problems so on and so forth well that will give you some anxiety or some depression on top of it so if there's an anxiety disorder well you probably wouldn't want to give somebody a stimulant that's having an anxiety problem and the other way around when someone who's like being depressed, right? That's or, de <laughs> or depressed, you know, sometimes stimulants actually, well, can actually help with depression, right? It kind of yes. gives them a but little I'm saying the other yeah, way around. It gets it's the other way that, around. So, yeah. so there's a lot of considerations with what's the proper drug. So, you know, stimulants versus non-stimulants. And then, you know, like if people are having high levels of hyperactive aggression, you know, maybe antihypertensives. Uh, which they do for children. They give them antihypertensives. It calms them down. It slows everything down. So good clinicians, they will really think through this. That's why it takes four or five hours to get the history. You know, what is the, what is the history? What's the family history? And so remember, 80% of people with ADHD have a second disorder. That's a, that's a statistic. Have one or more second disorders. Yeah, 50%, I'm sorry, 80% have a second, 50% have, have two or more of people with ADHD, co-occurring issues. What a good clinician is really having to deal with is like having to deal with disorder combinations and, you know, how does, how do they manage all of those pieces? That's why a very good psychiatrist, when it comes, once the diagnosis is made, the psychiatrist will be able to help manage what are those those different medications that should be of should be administered? You talk about they have second or uh, secondary or tertiary or more mm -hmm. uh, underlying. Which 
is there is there a, a, like a hierarchy an order of which they would be in other words would they would they uh potentially diagnose the secondary or or sub yeah. you know the, the lower ones first mm -hmm. and miss the adhd Good as question example, or would it or would yeah. it be the other way around? I, like I don't know the data on it. I don't know what the, but that's a very good question. I would, I, I would think it's what is causing what, you know, yep. sometimes it's a result of something, but and I, that's kind of what I'm asking is for. Yeah. As I know like the research shows that in adults, people that are diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, because of what I, you know, talked about before is it's an accumulation of setbacks that creates a lot of anxiety that's been a result of the ADHD. So it's very common for adults that, that got get diagnosed, have a, a, an anxiety or a depression disorder, a mood disorder on top of the ADHD for children. So but I don't know what's the, the yeah. I, I don't view them as like hierarchies. I just think like they're just co-occurring, you know, it's like, so as things. an example, someone who's showing anxiety and they start looking back and they realize that, that it could be the ADHD is kind of been causing that. Yep trying to figure out exactly what's the what's the root cause of something right that's right and one of the the problems too is that you know the the stimulants are scheduled two drugs i mean these are uh and and unfortunately they get abused a lot and so and for those that don't know what is scheduled it, it means this is how i earn my money with these insights yeah um <laughs> oh my scheduled two drugs are drugs for a high potential for uh being abused and they, you know, leading to severe psychological or physical dependence, high, high levels of addictive qualities, and they can be abused. So stimulants are something that unfortunately in college, kids are on stimulants to like stay up all night, or, I mean, they're snorting them, they're doing all sorts of really bad things with them. So one of the concerns that clinicians have is what is, you know, what is the age and the life space of the, of the person that that's, that's they're diagnosing. So if it's a 19 year old that's in college, a lot of times they're like, you know what, we, we want to try to avoid the stimulants because we don't want a dependency or an abuse type of situation happening because it's rampant on college campuses. People are taking ADHD meds when they don't have ADHD um, and they're selling them and it, you know, you hear all sorts of horror stories. So they, they've got to be, they got to be very, very careful. So, okay, but let's, let's look at some of the efficacy. Like, what, okay, so what is the, the, the drugs. Now, how do they work? I got to tell you that in terms of psychiatric problems, ADHD drugs are like a miracle for people. Uh, they don't work in eight to 10% of people that, that try them. They have no effect or they have an adverse reaction. And so then they got to stop. They can't be on those drugs, but the remaining 90%. So here it is 55% are completely normalized on the medication completely back to normal they hit normal neurotypical you know baseline that is insane if you know anything about how drugs work like that's crazy how well that i wish depression and anxiety would work like that with the drugs that are available but not not even close we'll have another podcast on all that but that is uh completely normalized so where they are completely normal compared to everybody else in the population. And the people that have that experience, I have a good friend that's going to come on our podcast um, that, that finally got treated. He was a pilot, um, is a pilot, stopped flying, got treated. And it's like, oh my God, I feel normal. This saved my life. You know, saved my marriage, saved my relationships. 
save, you know, unfortunately, as a pilot, can't say saved your job, unfortunately, but um, should. But that's so these are, are, are really that's a that's a huge, very important statistic. Now, I, I, when we were talking about some, uh, and this may be a little bit slightly off topic, it's, the one that I keep thinking about is, and, and it's so much for parents, especially 10, 20 years ago, and that is Ritalin. Mm. You know, do, do, does, does Ritalin have that normalizing effect? And, and was that an overused or overdiagnosed kind of uh, medication based on the fact of the rage? Everybody was talking about it. It was like, that was all you That heard. was the drug. Yeah. And I was just wondering, is that something like that or is that just kind of falling out of vogue? And No, and, I think um, it's still used. Uh, it's still used. Um, methophenidate, I think is what it's, yeah, it, the generic is. Um, but yeah, it's still used. It is a stimulant. It's a psycho, it's a psycho stimulant. So like some of the stimulants are uh, Ritalin, Concerta, Metadate, Methylin, uh, Detrana or Patch it's called. Uh, Focalin, Dexedrine, Vinase, wow. Adderall, another big one. No, yeah, I've heard um, uh, Nuvagil. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch. There's a bunch. So, one of the things I wanted to, to mention, and that I'm kind of reading about, and this is just in any kind of mental health issue. There's, there's kind of two ways that getting a diagnosis can go. It can be very uh, distressing for people to receive a diagnosis but it can also be a relief for people and i think for adhd certainly in the in the literature is when people get the diagnosis especially as adults of adhd there is a sense of relief that comes from that because there they it's a recognition that it's not my fault you know, I'm not just lazy and stupid and inconsiderate and a jerk. I didn't choose this. This is a neurodevelopment disorder or disability. And the mindset becomes very therapeutic because it says that you didn't cause this. You have to deal with it, but it's, it's, it's not your fault. It's a, it's a real thing. It's not some made up fictitious disorder. It's real. And also, I would think, in it, not like some other ones where they, once you diagnose, there's no, they're still trying to figure out what the path forward for treatment is. There is a very clear s series of options for treatment here compared to other things. So once you know, now you can start addressing it. That's right. I think would also help. Yeah. And it, I mean, certainly with my clients, when they, they get the diagnosis of ADHD, not from me, but they go get an actual diagnosis, it says, okay. You can alleviate yourself of all those the shame, but now you do have to do something about it. You know, you you really you need to get treated because it's a real thing, and so you don't want to leave that untreated because it's um, it, it'll it'll just wreak, wreak havoc. One of the questions that that um, somebody sent me was, if I take a medication and it doesn't work, does that mean that I don't have ADHD? No. That's not what that means. So people are like, oh, I tried Ritalin. It didn't work. So I must not have ADHD. Well, we just covered. There's all sorts of different mechanisms of action and different types. Your brain is, everybody's brain is a little different. So just because a drug didn't work doesn't mean that you don't have ADHD. And, and also, it, a lot of these drugs are not fast acting. It takes a little while it, for the body to, does. to react to it. So, Especially it the non-stimulant ones. Yeah. They, so. 
there you have it. That's the that's the meds. But the the you know fifty five percent totally back to normal. Um, what about the other percent? Well, sometimes they get a benefit. They get it might not be a perfect benefit, but it's a benefit. And only you know five to ten percent, it just doesn't work at all, or they have bad reactions and they have to they have to come off. So pretty compelling. And that actually leads. Yeah, yeah, and that actually leads into the next question is. And you see it all the time on the TV ads. You know, they talk about stuff that's like fixes my loss of hair growth or right. no, no, whatever. And then when you start listening to the side effects, it's like, holy crap. I think, you know, it's like possible effects, you know, you know, up to including death, it seems like on yeah. some of them. So on the effects, uh, what, mm. you know, and with this so many, I imagine that there's just a, a wide range of possible negative or adverse effects i guess so, so that's the question they take the meds what are possible side effects here's, or generic here's what i'm going to tell you i won't go there because and this <laughs> is why one of my really good friends is a psychiatrist my wife wife works in adult behavioral health psychiatry this is what i've been told by the by the the physicians and the nps and all this stuff and they know the drug stuff i'm not the drug guy uh but here's what they tell me and i think this is really good and i give this advice to my my clients all the time especially the ones that are on medication and they're trying to get used to medication any drug is capable of producing any side effect it's really an n of one yes there are some very typical side effect profiles and and plus plus a side effect might be you feel better that that could be a that is a side effect of a drug but in terms of negative side effects any drug can produce any side effect for anyway, it could be weird. Like, you know, it's an N of one. And so you have to work with your physician, the prescriber, hopefully a psychiatrist, if you've got ADHD to kind of figure out what is a side effect of the drug? What is not? How do you manage it? Can you work through it? Do you need to switch to something else? Do you need to change the dose? Do they need to add something else to it? But I've just, that has been the best advice I've ever been given by a psychiatrist uh, for working with clients is, well, could that be a side effect? Matt, any, any drug is capable of producing any side effect. So that's how I view side effects. You just have to wait and see, and you have to try it. I don't even want to venture into what could be, because I don't want to discourage people or freak people out from, you know, pursuing pharmacological treatment if that's what they need. But any drug is capable of producing any any side effect. You just have to wait and see. There you have it. There you have it. So, should we sum this up? What, how much time we got? Um, I I had a separate question. Okay. Because uh, I'm I'm dealing with this with a totally different issue, and that is what impact, or or should I? I and it's a this could go any way you want to go. This could be either the impact of or the lack of food certain oh, kinds of question. food you know that kind of stuff because some they say you, you're not getting enough of a certain type of nutrition mm. or what is the impact of eating certain types of food or just general i'm just going to throw it out as a big one yeah because it, it you could look at it either way too much of something not enough yeah. of something so um there's different programs and you can go and and you got to be very careful of the snake oil out there on the internet about the adhd diet and this and that and you know yada yada um here's what i know there's current evidence that the gut microbiome 
and ADHD pathophysiology uh, and therapeutic implications. There, there is evidence that it's it matters. What is in your gut biome? That, but that is like we're light years away. I think. Well, we're not light years away, but we are. Th- there's a lot of work to be done um, in that area because the gut biome. If you think about this, neurotransmitters. These are kind of what makes us feel how we feel in our head. Like 80% of neurotransmitters are manufactured in the gut biome. That don't quote me, okay? I don't know if that 80%, but it's a it's a large majority are are produced in the gut microbiome as opposed to the head. That's so like, you know, trust your gut and all that stuff. You and I laugh about that because in business that usually means gave up thinking. But in it, but in in honesty, there is good evidence that your gut has a lot of intelligence because there's neurotransmitters being uh, manufactured in there. There's like second brain as your gut. So there is something about the gut that, um, that, that matters. But the research shows that about 5 to 8% of folks with ADHD may have sensitivity to um, things like, here's the big one, like food, food colors, artificial food colors. That's the big one. Don't, don't do the red dye or that cause ADHD. Pretty weak evidence about that. But five to eight percent of people um, may have with ADHD may have sensitivities to those to those things. Could that be confounding? Could there be other variables? Absolutely, there could be. How about food groups? Yeah, well, I mean, so it seems like um, just the biggest problem in medicine, whether it's ADHD or depression or anxiety, and in fact, um, and let me tell you, all the books behind Matt's head. If you were to see this visually, he uses every one of those. They're not sitting there for show. No, no, it's amazing. No. Um, shit. Because he's constantly pulling them out. And I'm going, oh, my God. How did you know where everything Whatever. was? I can't find it. Right. Yeah, I can't find it. There's a great book on uh, that just came out by a Harvard psychiatrist uh, on sort of using food to treat mental, mental health issues. Quick side note. I found the book. It's called Brain Energy. I can't believe I couldn't remember that. But... Uh, it's brain energy by Chris Palmer, MD. The subtitle is a revolutionary breakthrough in understanding mental health and improving treatment for anxiety, depression, OCD, PTSD, and more. Chris Palmer is a Harvard psychiatrist and researcher working in the, uh, interface between metabolism and mental health. He's the director of the department of postgraduate and continuing education at McLean hospital and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And for a couple of decades, he's held leadership position roles in psychiatric education at Harvard, McLean Hospital, and nationally. He spent 15 years conducting neuroscience research in the areas of substance use and sleep disorders. And on top of his academic pursuits, he's continued to practice psychiatry, working with people who have treatment-resistant mental disorders using a variety of standard treatments. It's pretty rare for a researcher to also be actually in clinic. So he, the guy does both, and he's really been pioneering the use of the medical ketogenic diet in the treatment of psychiatric disorders, conducting research in this area, treating patients, publishing academic articles, and speaking globally on the topic. And most recently, he's developed the first comprehensive theory of what causes mental illness integrating biological, psychological, and social research into one unifying theory, the brain energy theory of mental illness. So uh, that's just kind of from his his book that came out last year, Brain Energy, Chris Palmer. 
highly recommend you check it out if you want to dork out and get deep into this stuff. So back to the, the uh, my conversation with Carl. Here's here's like what what it, the problem and just medicine in general is inflammation. Inflammation is responsible for almost every medical disorder that the human can have is in, in, in an inflammatory process. So foods that reduce inflammation are key, are key. And even in ADHD, inflammation is a problem. So anti-inflammatory foods, like, and so what's the number one thing that causes inflammation? Sugar, refined sugar, processed sugar, and even too much fruit, you know, too much glucose. You can't, you know, you got to be careful with that. Um, so sugars is one, uh, oil, believe it or not, there's bad oil in, in everything and how it's cooked and, you know, some oil, like olive oil, when you heat it up, it actually becomes toxic, you know, like oils is a, is another problem. And just, you know, things that turn into sugar car, you know, garbage is garbage, um, in many respects. So I would say that yeah, the, it just says anti-inflammatory diet. It helps not just ADHD, but helps everything. The number of people that I keep hearing that have IBS, uh, is just keeps going up and up. So it's skyrocket. Oh, the fine gold is. program. That's what it was. There was, um, uh, diet called the fine gold program. Um, and basically it, you know, just kind of, it, it eliminates artificial colors and flavors, sweeteners, preservatives, but not a lot of the research can be replicated, which means not super solid, not solid, you know? So there's, I just think the anti-inflammatory, you know, approach is only going to benefit everything, <laughs> everything in your life everything in your life. But there's this, it's pretty weak in terms of a specific ADHD protocol diet. It's, it's just not there yet. There's not a, there's not enough in the research. One thing I did want to talk about was I got, I got some questions about what's the difference between ADHD and an anxiety and ADHD and depression. If Even you, though those could be secondary or. Yeah, they uh, could be, you know, co-occurring with it. So if you think about ADHD is when you're extremely distracted, that's what ADHD is. So, you know, you're, 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 um, kind of skipping from one thing to another, uh, and, and, and you're getting pulled in various directions, you know, with distractions. And so the, 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 the researchers say it's, they consider it being overly coupled to the environment and, and not coupled enough to mental information about to, you know the lists of things that they need to do and what are the goals and 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 so on and so forth uh what they need to do today and so they're they're not governed by mental information the way that that neurotypical people are and and so it's kind of like there's an interesting thing about you know they you know you're there's two types of time in ADHD world now and not now and so it's, you know, these people are governed by context in the now. So that's what ADHD is. So then if you look at like anxiety and depression, it's the opposite. People are overly coupled to mental information, ruminating, fear, obsessing, anticipation, worry. And, and then they're, they're inattentive uh, to, you know, what's actually happening in the external world. It's like all internal versus external. And ADHD is like all external versus internal. So they're, they're opposite directions. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. You think about it. I was it? just thinking you always talk about being present in the moment. Right. 
It sounds like ADHD people are in the moment. Well, uh, yes, kind of. but but even yeah. mindfulness training, which is another another treatment, which I didn't mention, is um, the behavioral treatments. We talked about drugs. Then there's behavioral treatments, and mindfulness based treatments are uh, shown to be efficacious for ADHD. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one is like, what is your relationship to the world, to the external world, and to your internal world? And so there, the, the anxiety and depression kind of run one way and ADHD runs the opposite way. So which way are you coupled is really a good way to, to think about that. The ADHD people, they're, they're, they're not really in their head that much. Um, and it's usually because like, you know, their ideas are just sort of skipping all over the place. Whereas when you're depressed and you're anxious for our listeners that can relate to that, you're way in your head, like you're completely in your head. So that's, that's kind of the different, uh, the difference between it. But remember these things are coexisting disorders and, you know, when you're in your, uh, I think it's the, 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 the research showed that by the time you're in your thirties, if you have undiagnosed ADHD, 30 to 50, 35 to 50%, um, have developed an anxiety disorder as a result of it. So, so that's the, uh, that's the skinny on the difference between. So now like, let's, let's sum it up. So, okay. I, I'm I'm worried that I might have ADHD, or I'm worried that maybe somebody, my one of my loved ones, my child, my partner, whatever, might have ADHD. What do I do? Well, be sensitive if you're going to bring it up, right? I mean, it's it's a serious thing. But here's the steps that you should follow. One is you need to get a proper diagnosis. So I've tried to beat that into everybody's head here. You need to um, go to a specialist. Don't just go for a 15 minute appointment and get a diagnosis or do a 10 minute. There's all these online things now where you can get a diagnosis in 10 minutes and, uh, which is crazy to me, like get a proper diagnosis. If you, if you have the resources to do it. Second is just because you get a diagnosis, isn't the end, right? You need to educate yourself. When we see this in our practice all the time, when you educate people and you encourage them to read to watch lectures. There's all sorts of great YouTube references. Um, Dr. Barclay, who I mentioned last time, he's got a great YouTube channel, tons of stuff on there. Hollowell's got stuff on there. I mean, there's so much good stuff on ADHD, you know, sift through the bad stuff, go to the reputable stuff, but you can get a whole education on this. You really need to educate yourself. There's different websites like ADD.org, World Federation for ADHD, there's CHAD, C-H-A-D-D, which is organization in Canada and CADRO and National Institute of Health. Like there's really good resources on there that you can start to educate yourself. So get a diagnosis. You got to educate yourself. Third step, honestly, the research shows medication of all the treatments, the most effective hands down, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with meds, your anti-med, your pro-med, doesn't really matter right? Opinions don't really matter. The data matters. Meds, it's three times better than anything else out there is medication. It just works. Meds. Next step. And oh, you know, for the medication piece, Dr. Barkley always says ADHD is, it's like the diabetes of psychiatry. You know, if you had diabetes, would you not take insulin? Not, not a good outcome. It's the same with ADHD. 
Next step, so you get evaluated, you got educated, you got medication. Then the next step is you have to start to modify. What can you do to modify your behaviors in order to be able to cope better with the demands that having ADHD puts on you? And that's where things like cognitive behavioral therapy, ACT, acceptance and commitment, mindfulness-based approaches are very, very helpful practices, particularly mindfulness for adults with ADHD. And then the last step is accommodations. So how can I physically change my environment so that my disorder is, it's still there, but it's not, it's not, you know, crushing me. Things like activity, you know, daily calendar, use an actual calendar instead of a thousand sticky notes, put it into one place. There's different apps that help people with ADHD organize their time, having reminders, using, I don't have ADHD, but still a lot of my clients do productivity planner. I'm holding this up, right? What's my one most important task that I have to do today? What's my secondary? What's my additional plan tomorrow today? Don't wake up and go, okay, what do I need to do? Set your agenda aside for tomorrow. So when you get up, you know exactly what you have to do. And you're not trying to spend all this time running around, figuring out what to do, what you need to do. So you got to be able to modify your behavior. So get a proper diagnosis, educate yourself with the amazing stuff that's out there for free. Get the medication if you need it. Be a, a, a good evaluation will help steer you in that direction. Modify your behavior and then make some accommodations so that you can support yourself through the process. And that is, my friends, is really, uh, I think, the, the quick and dirty, but hopefully useful information and approach to managing attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That, ladies and gentlemen, was a, like you say, a quick three-part podcast version. And and I can guarantee you, based on all the notes that I saw that uh, Matt had, we could do a lot more. It's just that uh, there are so many other things that uh, we want to cover. We appreciate all of the comments that came in because that helped uh, kind of fine-tune some of the things to really talk about. So if you have any comments, please send them to podcast at lifteffect.com because they do help kind of steer what we talk about and and even within topics, what, what areas within the topic. So please keep them coming. Please smash the like, tell your friends about it. Uh, the word of mouth is getting out there and people are coming to our podcast to listen to the different things that we discuss. It's mental health and mental skills. Um, also, no matter which playlist you're on, in the description, there are two links. One is for our premium content that gives you additional information, show notes, and actual interviews. I should say book reviews and interviews with people. And also, there's another link for a free newsletter that you get weekly. Also, just as a note on our premium content channel, that's how we generate any additional, um, that's how you can help us because we don't ask for anything, no donations uh, or contributions. This is our way of getting you to help us keep this content coming in. So if you love what we do, please consider going to our premium content channel because that's where you can help us and also get additional information. We appreciate it. As best as I can say, we love you because it's you're the reason we do this and without you, we wouldn't be here. 
And we thank you and we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Until then, have a great day and a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance-related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.